good morning, Harlan. How we doing? Like, I laughed when Dad said Brad's going to come up and preach. I'm going to try to preach a message, but I think uh, it's safe to say we've already seen the message today and the stories of what God has been doing in people's lives. And so if you're newer here, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Brad. I get to serve as one of the pastors along with Dan and Shabu and so many others. I love this church. I love what we're about. I love that we have this very simple but bold ambition to make Jesus first. And that's what baptism is, is people declaring before the world that, that I don't want what the world has to offer me. I don't want to be in first place in my life. I believe my best life is when Jesus is in first and he, when he's in first place. And so um, we love getting to help one another in this journey of making Jesus first in our lives. That's why uh, next Saturday, I want to make sure you know, next Saturday we're hosting one of these opportunities to help make Jesus first in, in one very important area of our lives. If you are a parent, a grandparent, if you're thinking about becoming a parent, next Saturday we are hosting a Parenting with Purpose conference from 8.30 in the morning to 1 p.m. This is just a few hours where we want to come alongside you parents because we know that parenting is one of the most joyful, awesome, yet challenging journeys that you will ever be on. And what I also know is that you want to get this right, right? And you never know if you are. And so we're bringing in experts, whether they are family counselors and therapists, some of our own pastors, such as myself and Dan and Shibu and leaders from within our church. Allison and I are going to be doing some teaching. Dan and Kristen are going to be there as well, as well as just parents from within our own church who are in different seasons of parenting who have tried their hardest to get this right and who are gonna share some of the things that they've learned. So if you are a parent, don't miss out on this opportunity to come be encouraged and equipped in the role that God has given you because we will never get this right if we don't first understand the purpose that God has given us. And that's where we're gonna be focused next weekend. So you can find out more on that QR code. You do need to register. There is childcare available, but I hear it's filling up fast. So uh, there's still some space for you to jump in next Saturday. So speaking of parenting, um, a few years ago, our kids became old enough that my wife Allison and I kind of hit a milestone, we feel like, in our parenting journey. It became uh, kind of the, the time in our family when we, Allison and I got to choose the movie that we would watch for family movie night. This is a big deal. Because you go through years of watching what your kids want to watch. And then there comes a time when they're old enough that you, as the parents, get to pick out something that you like really big deal. Can I get an amen from any other parents out there? Yes. So uh, this actually was a couple years ago when we were all stuck at home and we were just plunging the depths of Netflix and Disney and Prime and all of that. And so we were watching a lot of the great epic stories, movies that are out there, things like Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and the Avengers, just working start to finish through this stuff. And as we watch these movies, what I realized is that there's this recurring theme in a lot of these movies. And it's the theme of a character who has to come to grips with the identity that he or she has. And then they have to make a decision. Will they or will they not live out of that identity? Will they live with the purpose that they have in this identity that they've been given? Let me, let me give you a few examples here. It's like this guy, Steve Rogers, okay? So of course we know him as, Captain, we know him as, I, ho I hope that was a little obvious right there, right? But when we first meet him, he is this scrawny, wimpy little guy, Steve Rogers, who's getting bullied and pushed around by everyone until he goes through this amazing transformation. And then he takes on this new identity, Captain, Ro or, uh, uh, Captain America. But he has a decision to make, 
of will he use the powers that he has to live out the identity that he has? Will he use his powers on behalf of the world to conquer evil? Another character, same theme, Aragorn, Lord of the Rings, right? And so when we meet Aragorn, his name's actually Strider and he's hiding out in the back of a pub, but he's also hiding from his true identity as king over all mankind. And then when we learn this, when we realize this, we watch Aragorn wrestle with this decision of will he use his role, his identity as king, to fight evil and save the world. There's this big theme of saving the world, fighting evil, right? Shows up again in this other character, Harry Potter. Any, I know you guys are like, you know, really like Harry Potter, who do? Any Harry Potter fans out there? Yes, okay. I'm not considered a true fan in my house because I haven't read the books. Apparently you have to read the books to be a true fan, right? Uh, But Harry Potter, when we meet him, he's just a boy living in the cupboard of his aunt and uncle's house. But then he finds out that he's actually the prophesied boy wizard uh, who is gonna take on the evil forces of Lord Voldemort. And, uh, but Harry Potter has to decide, will he accept this identity and purpose or not? And if he does, He's got some challenges ahead of him. If he does, he has to go through the training and he's gonna bring up people with him to pursue this purpose that he has. You're catching this theme. One more for us, maybe the best illustration of them all, Mia Thermopolis. Right? When we meet her, she's just a 15-year-old klutzy girl living in America, but then she comes to find out that she is actually the true heir to the throne of the country of Genovia. But she has to decide, is she going to live out this identity that she's been given? Is she going to accept this and live as the heir to the throne or not? This is a theme that captivates us. People who are discovering or being given special identities, but they have to make a decision of whether they're going to live out this identity or not. And this is the same theme that we have been picking up on as we have been walking through this letter that shows up in the New Testament, 1 Peter, as Dan mentioned, that as we've been walking through this, Peter himself, once a fisherman when we first meet him in the Gospels, but he himself has been given a new identity once he starts following Jesus. And now it's a few decades later and Peter is writing to, to, to new Christians and followers of Jesus spread throughout all of Asia Minor. And he's saying to them that, that when you are followers of Jesus, you have been given a new identity. And last weekend, Kristen Jacobson taught, look for a second here, hang on, come on, right? If you were here, she, uh, I don't think she's here this morning, right here. But she, uh, here's what I know about Kristen. Uh, usually during a sermon, if you ever hear some feedback and chatter from this side, that's usually Kristen. She's a, a it's great. I and mean, then if she hears something she likes during a sermon, she'll say, that's good. You ever hear that? So even though she's not here on Kristen's behalf, just to thank her for last week, if we could just say a collective that's good on the count of three to thank her for that. Are you cool with that? All right, one, two, three. That's good. There you go. If you, didn't, if you didn't watch it, I encourage you to go back and, and watch it. It's an incredible message. But she took us to this part in chapter two where Peter is telling his readers about the identity that they have. And he says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And here it is. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. That's the identity that those who follow Jesus have been given, that you are now the people of God. And as Kristen reminded us that you and you and you who are watching on the other side of the camera, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of this this people of God. 
And because of that, we have a purpose. And we have a question. Will we or will we not live out the identity that God has given us or not? And if so, how do we do that? How do we do that, Heartland? How do we live as this people of God? And if there's one letter that summarizes, the, if there's one word that summarizes how we live out the identity that we've been given, I think the word is this right here, reveal. Everyone say that together, reveal. reveal. That's probably the last time I'm gonna ask you to talk back, so you're good from now on, you did well. Reveal, that to reveal is to bring into focus, it's to bring into view, to brighten the light on. That, that if you are a follower of Jesus, and, and if you're not, and you're here today, or you're watching, or you're just beginning this, this journey, maybe you're investigating some of this, uh, maybe you're against all of this, I'm so glad you're listening to this, because even though so much of what we're talking about is being written to those who are following Jesus, I think if you are not a follower of Jesus, you can attest to how important what we're talking about is, and you can hold us accountable to it. Because churches everywhere can be known for, for not being who God has called us to be or if you're getting caught up in things that don't matter as much as what we're supposed to do as the people of Jesus. So, so please hold us to this as, as we learn about this and try to grow in this together. But as followers of Jesus, our job is to reveal that our lives should reveal to the world who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. Because we are the people of God, our purpose, how we live, is to reveal to the world who God is, and what he's done for us in Jesus. Now, everything up to this point in Peter's letter that we've been studying, all of chapter one, the first 10 verses of chapter two, have all been introduction. Peter's just trying to make it really clear that we will know that we are the people of God. And then once we hit these verses, these two verses that we're gonna study today, this is kind of the, the hinge of the whole letter where Peter starts to turn toward the how. Now, how now do we live? And, and I, I feel a little bad because we're just gonna tackle two verses today. Uh, next weekend, Dan will be back and he's gonna cover about 40. So, um, but I promise we're gonna do some good work and I wanna really squeeze as much juice out of these two verses as we possibly can. If you're, are you in this? You ready for it? Okay, so Peter in these two verses is gonna tell us how. And, and here's what he writes, starting in verse 11, if you wanna follow along. He says, dear friends, now, just for a second, he probably doesn't even know these people. He's only heard of them. Maybe never been to their towns or their gatherings, but he knows because of who they are in Christ, he has an affection for them. He has a commonality with them. He sees himself as one of them. He says, dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. And so I beg you to avoid the evil things that your bodies wanna do that fight against your soul. People who do not believe are living all around you and they might say that you are doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and they will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. Right here in these few verses, Peter is telling us how we live out this identity as the people of God. And he's gonna give us a few ways. I've pulled out three, two ways we don't live and one way that we do live. That if the people of God, if our job, if the one mission that we have in this world is to reveal who God is and what he has done, then there's some things that we need to pay attention to. And the reason why we need to pay attention to this, Heartland, is because there are people in your life who will never open a Bible. There are people in your lives and in your workplaces, in your worlds, who may never walk into the doors of a church. There are people around you who may never listen to a sermon. 
But what they will see is you. What they will see is how we live our lives. And what they see, what they see about God will depend on the ways that we do live our lives. And so we have to take this to heart, that we too have the same purpose that Peter was writing to these believers back on the first century. And so two ways we don't live. One ways we do live, coming back from Peter's letter. Here's the first one. First way we don't live, don't get cozy, Peter says to us. He says, don't get cozy. This is coming from a translation of this verse that I'm going I'm to reference here in a second. But go back to the original passage that we were reading. He says, dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. He has a word. He's calling them back to their identity. He says, you are like foreigners and strangers. Other translations will say you are like visitors. You are like travelers around here. The message translation puts it like this. It says, this world is not your home, so don't get cozy in it. You ever think about being cozy? I love being cozy. Anyone like being cozy? I mean, the sweater's kind of cozy. Maybe you're who watching, you who are watching online, you're under a cozy blanket. You're still wearing your cozy clothes. You're kind of, maybe in here, you're sipping a cozy cup of coffee. We love being cozy. Um, shortly after um, moving into my office here at Heartland, I decided to get a couple of chairs so that when I was having meetings with people, they would have a place to sit. I thought it was a very kind thing of me to do. Um, and I bought these two chairs off of Amazon, and I, got, I bought them because they looked good and they looked comfortable, but then when they showed up, they weren't nearly as comfortable and cozy as they looked. Like, the padding was just kind of thin, the back was pretty upright, they're a little squished in the bottom, and so you just couldn't quite, quite get situated and cozy and comfortable in these chairs. And so, after a few weeks of, of having meetings with uh, some of our staff, the staff started calling these chairs, Brad's Don't Stay Here Long Chairs. <laughs> it was like I had on purpose found the most uncomfortable chairs that there were so that I would have very short and brief and to the point meetings with people. It's actually pretty genius, but no, no, that wasn't, that wasn't my intention. But I think this is a little bit of what Peter's telling his readers. He's, he's saying to them, don't get too cozy in this world. Don't, don't get too comfortable around here. And, and he's identifying one of the greatest tensions of the Christian life, that although we live here in this world, our home is not here in this world. What's, what's he saying? What, what, what's he mean by this? Well, have you ever lived away from your home? Maybe it was back when you were in college and you were living in the dorms for a stretch. You didn't pack everything that you owned and move into the dorm. Or maybe it was as a young adult, maybe you are a young adult, you signed a six month, 12 month lease, but there's an understanding in this season that you're not gonna be there for long. Or maybe for a, you know, a stretch, your company relocated you, put you in some temporary housing, maybe you were deployed with the military, that maybe there was a season where you were living somewhere, but during that season, you knew that that was not your home, that there was a place, another place that you came from, your home. And what our home truly is, it's not, it's not just a, a place. Home is where the heart is, right? No, it's uh, that what your home really is, it's what, it's, it's what shapes your identity. It's what informs your values. It's where you've learned how to see the world. And so what, 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 what this passage is saying by don't make your home in the world, it's actually saying don't, don't forget that your home is not in the ways of this world. Your home is in the ways of Jesus. 
that if Peter were writing to us here now, Heartland, and he was using kind of 21st century language, he would, he would say, hey, don't forget your home isn't in Kansas or even in America. Though your address may be here, you came, the home that you came from gives you a different identity and it shapes your purpose. And that home is in heaven where Jesus is. So don't buy into the ways of this world. This is so important. I mentioned this is one of the greatest tensions that we have to navigate as the people of God. Because how do we navigate the ways of this world? And typically, if you look back over the centuries, typically there's, there's kind of one of a few different ways that, that followers of Jesus and religious groups have tried to do this. And we can fall into this really easily. The first thing we may do is we may accommodate the ways of this world. So basically, we ignore Peter's instructions to not get cozy in this world. We accommodate it. We forget that as followers of Jesus, that our values and our outlook on the world that are the way we see money and success and power, that the way that we go about our careers and our families and our parenting and our marriages and our singleness and our retirement, all of these things, we should find our ways in the home that we have with Jesus, not in the ways of this world. So we may be tempted to accommodate, right? Just to kind of give in to the ways of this world. Peter says, no, don't get cozy in that. But there's another way that we, thing that we might do is, is we can often, we just isolate. And say, okay, so um, my home is, is somewhere else. Uh, I want to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm a, I'm a part of a people that has been called to be set apart. That's what holy means. And so we literally set ourselves apart from the world. That, that, religious, groups, that, that, that religious groups in this day, Peter's day, they would be tempted to set themselves outside of society to preserve their ways, that no one else would be able to get in and mess with the ways that they knew that they were called to live. And so they would isolate themselves. This is not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, no, your home is in this world. I mean, your home is not of this world, but you are living in this world. So live here. Buy a house. Work a job. Sign your kids up for sports. Tailgate with friends. Have fun. Join the PTA and the HSA. Enjoy all of these things and all of the relationships that you have in each of these areas. This is what Jesus himself did. He didn't isolate himself from society. He lived within complete view of society. But he did this knowing that this world was not his home. So don't accommodate. Don't isolate. But the other thing that we may be tempted to do as, 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 as followers of Jesus is mandate. And you look back over a couple, you know, thousand years and religious groups and especially churches, Christianity has tried at times to navigate the tensions of society by mandating, by enforcing Christian ways upon society. It might just be by kind of throwing legalistic grenades from their religious camps or maybe trying to use positions of power or power itself to be able to force society into the ways of Jesus. And if you look back at the times that religious groups have tried to do this, it usually backfires because we're getting it all backwards. And, and Peter is actually telling these readers in a very political and, and powerful, strong um, a government, and society, a government and society, he's telling them, I want you to think outside of all of your political ideologies right now. Because your influence in this world, how you reveal who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus, that influence doesn't come through the, through the, the structures and powers of society. That comes through how you live your lives as the people of Jesus. So don't try to mandate 
as a way of influencing and revealing God. Now, now I'm going to come back to this and uh, what we do, how we, how we do this. But um, first point, don't get cozy. Peter goes on in the passage and he has another point for us. He says, don't get lazy. See here, don't, don't get lazy. We just celebrated baptisms. This amazing picture to all of us, to the world of, of what God has done in someone's life. That through baptism that we celebrate that God, that Jesus, God through Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And not only that, but we have died to our old way of life when we were our own God, and we've been raised to walk in a new way of life when we entrust ourselves to Jesus as our God. Now, if you've ever been baptized, you know that this is not a decision that you, that you make lightly. That the only reason you would ever make this decision is because of trust and humility. And maybe, maybe, you, maybe you've learned what happens, the wreckage that happens when you try to live in the driver's seat of your own car, or you try to be your own God, but you've learned, you've accepted. You know what, Jesus? I believe that you're a better God for my life than I am. I remember when I was 19 years old and I was being baptized and, and there was a bunch of my friends from college and some family members who were standing there and I was declaring before them, I was saying, hey, you got to hold me to this. I want Jesus to be first in my life, not myself. And for a long time, I thought that I was pretty good at, at being the God of my own life, but I was making that commitment. Here's the thing about baptism. Sure, we die to our old way of life. We die to those desires. We die to the results and consequences of that. But those desires kind of don't always go away. The ways of this world kind of still are all around us. And, and this is what Peter's getting to here in this passage. He says, he says it like this. He says, I beg you to avoid the evil things that your bodies want to do that fight against your soul. I beg you. I urge you to abstain, to avoid, to resist the evil things and desires that your bodies want to do. That these desires are still calling out to you. That, that just because you've been forgiven of your sins doesn't mean you're never going to be tempted again. And then he says they, these things fight against your soul. There's other translations take this metaphor even farther and say that these things wage war against your lives. But that's what temptation does. It's looking for an easy target. It's always on the offensive. It's looking to attack you. And so Peter is saying, don't get lazy because there is something that is waging war against you. And that something is the desires that you have that mimic the desires of this world. The, um, what I'm thinking about this is, is, is we have to ask the question, what makes us lazy? If we're going to not be lazy, what makes us lazy? Well, we get lazy when we forget what kind of desires we used to have in our former way of life, right? Because they don't go away. We're still going to be tempted by those things. We get lazy when, when we place ourselves in situations and contexts and text exchanges that we know we've learned might not turn out so well for us. That's when we get lazy. We get lazy when we try to, try, to, try to go through, live through the struggles and temptations and desires that we have without the support and encouragement of, in friend, of friends who can, who can come alongside us and walk with us and even hold us accountable against these things. That they know what we've said, the kind of life, that who we want to be our God, and we say, hey, I'm going to be with you in this even when you don't get it right. 
I'm going to be there to help pick you up. This is how we don't get lazy. Now, this, this whole topic of desires that Peter's writing up back in the first century, you know, we think today that, that, that we're ruled by our desires. It was that and then some back in the first century. That back in, in this society, people believed that the very reason you had desires in the first place was to satisfy them. And so your goal in life was that if you had the means, if you had the money, then you would do everything that you could to satisfy the desires that you have. And so why wouldn't you want to satisfy those desires? And Peter tells us. He tells us because there is something that's at stake. You go back to that verse. He says that these desires wage war against your lives. Other translations, against your souls. He's saying, remember... Remember your baptism? Remember how Jesus helped you die to that old way of life? Remember why you made that decision? He says, when, when you cave into these desires, you're actually exchanging the life that Jesus has given you and all of its benefits. You're exchanging that for the life that you had before. That's what happens when we give into these desires. And this is actually a similar theme all throughout the New Testament. We see this in other letters. And, and Paul, another New Testament church leader and, and wrote a lot of the New Testament, he writes to the church of the Colossians. He says, so put all evil things out of your life. These are the desires. He gets specific. He says, sexual sinning, doing evil, letting evil thoughts control you, wanting things that are evil. There's a theme here, right? Evil and greed. This is really serving a false god. Saying that when we give into these things, we've taken the, the, the throne of our life that we put Jesus on and we're taking him off that throne and we're putting our desires on that throne and we're letting the, our desires be the God of our life. Now, uh, if you've ever been on a budget or on a diet, this is a lesson you've had to learn, that your desires are not your God, right? That Amazon and Pizza Shuttle are not your God. We have to come, to, back in January, my wife and I were doing the Whole30 thing, kind of, you know, you did a, anyone else do a January something? No, just us. Okay. So, uh, but we were doing this. We were trying to establish some healthier habits and decision-making and just kind of get the year off on a good start. And uh, we were choosing not to give in to our desires. And the problem when you do this is that if you have four kids who aren't on this kind of a, an eating plan, they're still eating all the stuff that you might desire. And my kids would walk around with brownies and bowls of ice cream and just uh, cheese and be like, oh, that's right. You can't eat this. And I'm like, no, I'm choosing not to because my desires are not my God. But by saying no to that, I'm saying yes to, to something else. Now, um, we made it whole 28 days. Felt like four round weeks was success enough and then we moved on and, and we felt like that was a good, a good step in the right direction. But in that time, we had to learn, and if you've ever fasted for spiritual or physical reasons, you learn this too. We have to learn that our desires do not control us that our desires are not our God. And so Paul, as this verse continues, a couple of verses later, he says, in your past evil life, you also did these things, but now also put these things out of your life. Anger, bad temper, doing or saying things to hurt others or using evil words when you talk. Do not lie to each other. All of these things that symbolize their former way of life, that you have left this old sinful life and you left the things that you did before and you have begun to live the new life, the new life that Jesus has given you in which you are being made new and you are becoming like the one who made you. How can you tell if you're living the old life or the new life? Are you becoming more like Jesus or less like him? 
is what Paul would say. This new life brings you the true knowledge of God. And so don't get lazy. Don't, don't go back to that old way of life and leave behind the life that Jesus has given you and all of its benefits, his compassion, his grace, his power. Don't make that exchange. Don't make that trade. But also, when you live in the new life, here's what happens. As you are making known to yourself and to all of those around you the true knowledge of God, that you are revealing to the world around you who God is and what he has done for you in Christ Jesus, that your desires are not your God, that you're able to say no to these things so that you can say yes to the new, better life that you have in Jesus. Now, these are the don'ts. Don't be lazy, don't get cozy, right? But what's this third thing? What's the do? Because a life filled with don'ts isn't really that fun or compelling of a life to begin with. And there's really a lot of things that we do as the people of Jesus. And that's where Peter goes in the next verse, back in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He says, people who do not believe are living all around you, and they might say that you are doing wrong. Live such good lives that they will see the good things that you do, and they will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again. Lift such good lives. What do we do, church? We live such good lives. Now, a little bit of context of what Peter's, um, what he knows about these people back in the first century that he's writing. So these followers of Jesus, these newer Christians and these, these churches spread across Turkey, they're beginning to catch a little bit of flack from the people around them. Because when you resist giving into your selfish desires the way the rest of the world does, the world doesn't know what to do with you. They may scratch their heads at you. They may even criticize you or ridicule you silently or even out loud. That if you're a high school student who insists on finding your identity and your acceptance in God and not in popularity or not in your, your performance, that's gonna confuse some of the other students around you. That if you're an employee who, who wants to glorify God above all through your character and through your hard work ethic and the way that you treat people in honorable and noble ways, if you're more concerned with glorifying God in those ways than you are with building your resume or making money or finding that next opportunity, your coworkers may not take you seriously. That when everyone else is grabbing for that next can or bottle or pouring that next glass and, and you don't. Or when you resist signing up your kids for that fourth basketball league in the same season. The world may not get it. Of course they won't. And, and why, why would they? We shouldn't hold this against them. That you were working from a different home, Remember? And so this is going to happen because the world doesn't know what to do with people who don't follow the ways of this world. That, that if, if you follow Jesus, people will say and think these things. And they may think, you know, that's great for you, but honestly, you're missing out. Peter wants his readers to know this is going to happen. This is why it's happening. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, he challenges them. He goes one step further. He says, even though this is happening, here's, here's what I want you to do. Don't just say no to the ways of this world. Say yes to the things that actually bless this world. What do I mean? That your devotion to Jesus should produce a way of life that those who don't follow Jesus in time will be thankful for. 
That in other words, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, do good things that add value to the world around you. Your workplace should be better off because of you. Your school or your campus, your extended family, your neighborhood, all should be better off in the end because of your presence in them. Live good lives. Do good things, Peter is telling them. And as he's writing this, I imagine that, that what's going through Peter's mind is a certain moment back when he was following Jesus and they were up on a hillside overlooking Galilee and and Jesus was teaching through what we call the Sermon of the Mount and at one moment he looks at his followers and he tells them, he teaches them, he said, you are the light that gives light to the world. So live so that they will see the good things that you do and they will praise your Father in heaven. As Peter is writing this, I hear the words of Jesus going through his mind and into this letter and him helping his readers go back to the words of Jesus themselves that who are you? If you are the people of God, you are the light of the world that you are here to reveal, to bring into focus, to brighten up who God is and who you are as the people of God and what he has done for you. That's who you are. So how then do you live? If you want to step into this identity and live out the purpose that you've been given, do good things. Live such good lives, lives that have not been made good by the good, comfortable things that you have acquired. That's what we think of when we think of the good life. We're going to have an incredible sermon series right after Easter talking about what the good life is. So I hope you're already thinking about this, who you can be inviting to get to experience and hear what Jesus says about the good life. That's not the good life. That the good life is not a moralistic one that just has a simply a strong sense of what's right and what's wrong and is ready to call out everything in the world that's wrong. What the good life is, is a life that does good, thing, good, does good things. A life that adds value to the world around you. That the, the kind of things that, that you do, that one day people will look back and be thankful for, so thankful that they will actually glorify God in that day because of your presence in their life and in this world, that they look back and say, you know what, I didn't get it at the time, but now I'm really thankful for them. They were living for what matters, and they were making this world a better place. See, this is why the early church spread so fast. This is why we have this book, because people read Peter's letter, and they took it seriously. They took it to heart. They actually did what Peter was telling them to do, that they, they didn't get cozy. They didn't get lazy. They actually lived such good lives that the world around them paid attention to it. They saw this, and because of that, they saw who God is. They saw what God had done in other people's lives, and they began to take interest and have conversations and show up at their gatherings and began to to let Jesus into their life too, so much so that this movement grew and spread all across the known world. And we are, in fact, here because people read Peter's letter and followed what he taught them. This is why we as a church want to do good things. We don't do it to earn the grace of God. It can't be earned. We don't do it to make a great name for ourselves. The name of Heartland will never be as great as the name of Jesus. We do this to add value to our world. We do this because we want to benefit the people around us. This is why we host harvesters on Saturday mornings and invite you to be a part of, of distributing food to those who are most in need of it because we want to see you know, hundreds of families and households' lives made better by people who are living for Jesus. 
why we have our pantry here on Sunday mornings. This is why we collect items for Adelante Thrift that we're going to start doing here in a few weeks. This is, this is why we, we support the training up of families and men and women over in Ethiopia and Kenya, training them up in leadership and business because we want to help add value to our world. We want to be a presence in it, doing good things. This is why we come alongside foster families. This is why we come alongside firefighters as a church, that we want our world to miss us if we were missing from our world. Amen? That's why we're here, because we are here to reveal who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus. But here's the thing. You don't have to wait for an announcement from the guy on stage to do good things, do you? I know all of you read your top three emails that we send out every week. If you don't, we send out an email every week. You probably don't get enough of those, but ours are the best. And if you read it, you'll find some things, some ways that you can do good things around our world and grow in your faith, awesome opportunities. We don't want to waste your inbox space. But you don't have to wait for those emails or an announcement from us to do good things, to live good lives, because God has you in the world. He has in our body teachers and landscape architects and stay-at-home parents and students and grandparents. He has you in your own part of the world for a reason. And so start there. Do good things there. Live out the purpose that God has given you as the people of God there. Be the light of the world that is bringing into focus who God is and what he has done in your life so that one day the people in your world will, will look back and be thankful that you are a part of their world. Now, in a moment, I want to pray for us because that ain't going to be easy, Heartland. We need all the help that we can get. But here's, here's something else that I know is that every time we hear a sermon, preach a sermon here at Heartland, we don't want this just to be some, some words in our rear view mirror or a service that we went to that, that maybe offered us a little bit of a, a, an encouragement to our week. We hope it you know, does that, but we actually want to do something with what God is teaching us. And that's, that takes time. That takes space. What it really takes is conversations. So maybe you're here with someone or you have someone in your home. And every week on our, on our social media, we post a few questions after the sermon. And these are the questions from today. You can take a picture of it. You can look on our social media channels. You'll find these questions there. And I encourage you, take something. Right now, hopefully, God's got your attention on something. And he's got you thinking about something or celebrating something or wrestling with something. And whatever that is, take that something and have a conversation with someone about it. And begin to dig deeper into what God is teaching us. Because our growth in Christ happens when we hear what God is teaching us and we say to ourselves, now what am I going to do about it? How am I going to live differently because of it? And that's why on Wednesday nights, every single Wednesday night in this sermon series, we've been having midweek over there in our lounge. And about 100 people or so come together and we gather around tables. And we just say, what is God teaching me? And now what do I think I'm going to do about it? And it's one of the safest places in the world to practice reading scripture, if that feels new to you, to practice conversations with one another. This is a safe place with people all over the, the, their, their stages of spiritual growth. And if you've been kind of sticking your toe in the water of Heartland, or you've been sticking your toe in the water of who Jesus is, or, or how, to, how to live as his follower, midweek is one of the easiest and safest places to stick that next toe or two in the water. And what I've learned about following Jesus is we never stop taking steps. And maybe this is a step that you can take that'll help him hear your voice in your life, and will help you live out the identity that you have that he has given to you. 
so that you can maybe be making a difference in this world. Because when we do, we reveal to our world who Jesus is and we make known his life, death, and resurrection. Because we make him first in our lives when we do what Jesus did. When we seek the lost and we serve the least and we love our neighbors and we come alongside the marginalized, we do what Jesus did, but we can't do it alone. We need one another to lock arms with and to encourage us as we go out in this world to do it. So next week, like I said, we got a chunk to tackle. Dan's going to do an incredible job of it, and I encourage you to come back because what we're moving into, it's another way that Peter encouraged us to live, and it's one of the easiest and most confusing ways. It's one of the easiest ways to get tripped up on and one of the most confusing things to figure out. So you're not going to want to miss next week. I hope you come back as we jump into that together. Before we go, Heartland, would you pray? Would you stand and let me pray for us as we go? And so Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good father. Speaking of good, and we have seen that today in the stories of lives that have been changed, which can only happen because of your grace. So Lord, would we be a community of people that never stops celebrating that grace, that never stops plunging the depths of the grace that you have for us, that never stops wondering about the purpose that you have and holding tightly to what that is. And so today, through Peter's words to us, God, would you soften and change our hearts? Would you help us to be sensitive to the moments in our week and the places that we find ourselves, our little corners of the world, God, where you want us to not get lazy or cozy, where you want us to do good things so that, Lord, people may come to a knowledge of who you are and glorify you. Jesus, come alongside all of those, no matter where they find themselves right now, families, our kids, students who are meeting right now, that we may go out into this world as the people of God, that we may live in such a way that reveal who you are to all those around us. Jesus, in your name we pray. And friends, if you uh, desire this for yourself, would you shout out amen? Amen. 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 Hey, everyone, have a wonderful and blessed week.